Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories slash Coffee with Cannon. Good to see all you guys, although I'm not seeing a bunch of you yet in the chat. Um, lot, lots of stuff going on. You know, of course, today is the first day of the wake for Police Officer Wilbert Mora from the 3-2 Precinct who was um, gunned down last week. And uh, today is the first day of the wake at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral with the funeral following uh, tomorrow morning at 10, 10, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, all you folks, if you're civilians, whether you're cops, if you can make it there, show your support for his family and uh, to the NYPD. I'm just gonna play a little bit of this uh, from the news. Mora, he was one of the officers shot and killed in Harlem last month. Officers stood to salute Officer Morris' casket as it was taken to the cathedral this morning. CBS 2's John Diaz is there live this, with more this noon. John. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon, Mary. Well, support for Officer Mora and his family, you know, stretching wide here today, far and wide. Many people coming out uh, to say their final farewells, goodbyes to a courageous young hero. NYPD officer Wilbert Mora will forever be remembered as a gentle giant, a shining example who proudly wore a badge of honor for the city's finest. His aspirations of becoming a sergeant taken from him at just 27 years old. Today, a motorcade moved slowly to historic St. Patrick's Cathedral. His NYPD family carefully carried his flag-draped casket inside. A somber start to a hero's farewell made up of his brothers and sisters in blue. Even strangers have nothing but respect. It's hard to say anything good can come out of this, except it's sort of a moment of realization about how brave our officers are and about uh, how we need to get guns off the streets. They are our, our heroes every day out there on the front lines protecting us, and we owe a debt of gratitude to all of them. Mora was a promising and determined officer. He joined the department in 2018, the same year he graduated from CUNY John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He already made 35 arrests before he was tragically killed. A hero until the very end. He donated his organs, saving five lives. You have to feel it in your chest with this situation. The wake follows an emotional escort from last week where there were salutes, tears, and tributes when Mora's body arrived at a Riverdale funeral home. In the two days that followed, the world said goodbye to his partner, Detective Jason Rivera. The two officers who took an oath to protect and serve were doing just that when they were ambushed while responding to a domestic dispute in January. Your big brother's very, very proud of you. Mommy's proud of you. Poppy's proud of you. Dominique is proud of you. We love you. Thank you so much. I love you forever, bro. Thank you. Please protect us always. Now, Mars Wake will officially begin about an hour from now, starting at 1 o'clock here at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And then tomorrow at 10 a.m., also here at St. Pat's, will be his funeral. We're live this afternoon from Midtown Manhattan. John Diaz, CBS. Heartbreaking. You know, let's let's hope that um, tomorrow at the funeral we have uh, as big a showing as we had for police officer Rivera, who had, had over 10,000. That, that thin blue line wasn't so thin. It was actually a very thick blue line of officers 
from not just New York City, but from from all over the all over you know the metropolitan area. Some flew in from other states. JetBlue, you guys all know about JetBlue. JetBlue is a real police friendly airline that uh, uh, flies cops to funerals of other cops for free. I mean, unbelievable. Talk about you know someone from corporate America at least siding with the right the right team this time you know and uh we have a we all need to thank jet blue for uh you know for taking the side of the police there's there's a lot of these these corporations and corporate america that sided with uh, these anarchist groups and gave them all kinds of money and it's good to see that um jet blue is not one of them you know that they're uh jet blue is is behind the blue Here's the, on the screen, I'm posting uh, the information for Officer uh, Moore's funeral today, of course, Tuesday, February 1st, from 1 to 8 p.m. at St. Patrick's Cathedral will be the viewing service. And tomorrow at 10 a.m. will be the funeral service also uh, at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Um, if you can make it, whether you're a police officer or, or, or a civilian, they would love to have you there. This is a picture on the screen. Police officer Wilbert Moore, 32 Precinct, New York City Police Department, end of watch, January 25th, 2022. Fidelis Ed Mortem, for folks that, that doesn't don't know, do not know what Fidelis Ed Mortem means. It means faithful until death. Obviously, it's Latin, and I was no student of Latin, but I've seen that so many times. And um uh that, in fact, uh, is was the motto of the Honor Legion of the NYPD, Fidelis Ed Mortem. So uh, you see that all the time. And just for those that don't know what it means, that's what it is, faithful until death. It's like when you, you think of, like, the Marine Corps, um, they always say Semper Fi. And I'm not a Marine, but I really, I've used that uh, that saying before because it means always faithful. And it's similar to Fidelis Ed Mortem, but that belongs to the Marines. And if once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. So I'm not going to steal their rallying cry or steal their pride, but I just I think it's a great, um, a great saying. Fidel, um, Fidelis Ed Mortem, and of course Simplify, which is the Marine Corps. Um, shout out! You know this is um, this obviously is Police Officer Morris' picture on the screen, but. The, the sea of blue you see there on Fifth Avenue, that was from police officer Rivera's funeral. And I think we're going to replicate that tomorrow. And um, it's so important that people support these police funerals. Although you heard some people and uh, that actress that uh, has gained infamy from her stupid uh, rant. I'm sure she's sorry that she ever did that, uh, if you're not familiar with that. Uh, this uh, actress was ranting on uh, social media about uh, the city being blocked off just for one cop that was killed. And for, and she also said for probably not doing his job very well. That's what, that's what, another thing she said, which uh, just is too much to take, you know. Uh, folks, welcome to um, Police Off the Cuff. Um Hey, Scotty Wagner, once a cop, always a cop. You may retire from the job, but not your oath. That's for sure, Scotty. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so a lot a lot of things going on. You know, uh, this always becomes political. 
uh, we see a lot of people going into the church, a lot of politicians. And uh, I really liked the the letter that uh, Vinnie Vallelong, who is the, the SBA, Sergeant's Benevolent Association president, wrote to the, um, the rank and file of the SBA and claiming, you know, how many politicians elbow, elbowed their way into the best seats in St. Patrick's Cathedral so they could be seen. And these were some of the very same people who created the conditions that make it so difficult to be a police officer now. And uh, if you mention certain things like bail reform, here's, here's Governor Hockle. She was sitting next to, she's on the right. To the left is, um, he's I, uh, Swozy is his last name. He's running for governor, but Hockle still is um, resolute with bail reform, wants no part of um, of any kind of amendments to bail reform because, you know, she views that as her base and she doesn't, you know, she, she's going to a cop's funeral and uh, she's still resolute with bail reform, you know, that, that she doesn't want, she wants, you know, she goes cop shooters and everything to get bailed. So, you know, she's running for governor, so um, she doesn't want to change because she feels that that's, that's her road to success. This is Carl Heasty. He's, um, I think, the speaker of the, uh, the the state assembly, and uh, they were the ones that put together this bail reform package that is a disgrace. And here, this disgraced governor that left, he resigned under disgrace. He's he's an architect of bail reform also, and I think he's probably bailed or, or paroled more cop killers than any governor in the history of New York, of, uh, New York State. So he's another architect, and he takes no responsibility for anything. And uh, here he is laughing with Schumer. And I, look, at, look, at, <laughs> look at the guy to the left of Cuomo. Oh, my God, Jerry Nadler. If that's not a cartoon character, I don't know what is. But uh, these, are all the, um, these are all the politicians that... Uh, that created the situation for, for police that police are dealing with right now. And on a national level, uh, is, is some more progressives that if you don't know who they are, uh, that's a national level. That's all that denies there's any crime problem throughout the country. It's an imaginary thing. And that it, it's all, it's all the fault of police, you know, um, so, folks, you know, they're, they're also talking about, I, I spoke about it the other day, about, uh, well, here's Red Hook Brooklyn commenting. I'm happy they're bringing back anti-crime unit, but the mayor should have never threatened to terminate cops if they don't do their jobs right. You know, Red Hook Brooklyn, I think that, uh, you know, when they're talking about putting anti-crime back and then they threaten the very cops that who would who would volunteer for it. Very difficult job, anti-crime, especially more difficult now um, with video cameras everywhere, with they have to wear body-worn video. And the one thing that I find uh, the most ridiculous is that they have to wear like a vest identifying them as police. Doesn't that defeat the purpose of anti-crime, the stealthiness of anti-crime, the surprise of anti-crime? The unmarked car becomes meaningless if you're wearing a bright yellow vest that says police on it. Uh, I can tell that um, Mayor Adams has never, ever worked anti-crime in his life because he wouldn't suggest something that's stupid. And, um, you know, the media also, uh, the way they report on anti-crime, they say the controversial anti-crime unit 
they were never controversial. You made that up, media. What was controversial was stop, question, and frisk. And because it was a broad stroke painted by everyone, they blamed that on anti-crime. And I believe that Commissioner Shea uh, disbanded anti-crime under the de Blasio administration because de Blasio clearly would not back up the police in anything they did. So I think that Shea, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm thinking that Shea wanted to protect people that were working in plain clothes. So he said they got no backup. They have no backing if something goes wrong. So I'm going to disband it. I think that's probably what happened. And we saw the gun surge after that, the amount of guns being carried in the, in the street, the amount of shootings. Shootings are up. Homicides are up. Is anti-crime a necessary component of the NYPD to fight violence and to, to remove guns from the street? 100%. But some of the tools that they need, they obviously need the backup of politicians. And if Mayor Adams already starting to say, if you do anything wrong, I'll fire you. First of all, you can't fire a cop, Mayor. You should know that, all right? You can bring them up on charges. You cannot just fire them. I don't think you're not, all of a sudden you're a mayor. You think you can fire people. Bloomberg learned that too. He thought coming from the private sector, he could just fire people. You can't do that. You can bring them up on charges, right? There's due process, even for cops, all right? And Adams, you should know that. You were a cop for 22 years. Uh, Scotty Wagner, it's not going to be the anti-crime that we were. It's not even called anti-crime. It's called something like neighborhood uh I think it's neighborhood safety teams or something. Yeah, crazy. Exactly. And, um, you know, I was talking about anti-crime the other day. And one of the things a good anti-crime cop does every single day, a good cop for that matter, he's, he reads the, what's called um, the, the, the sheet of all the, of all the crimes. And up in the squad, we used to call it the 60 sheet. And he sees what's going on in the precinct. How many robberies were there in the previous tour? Who's carrying the guns? What's the description of the people carrying the guns? Burglars, car thieves, grand larcenists. Are we looking for teams out there? A good anti-crime officer reads all of that so that when he does make a stop as per stop, question, and frisk, he can articulate why he stopped a certain individual, both in regards to the incident the movement, seeing a bulge, uh, the situation. And don't forget, it's called stop, question, and frisk. The media hijacked that. Uh, they called it stop and frisk because they wanted to uh, use it as a derogatory uh, term against cops. I don't let the media say that. Whenever someone from the media says stop and frisk, I say stop right now. It's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. And do you know why? Junior journalist, why it's called stop, question, and frisk? You don't know. That's I, I, I figured you didn't know. Because when you stop someone and then you question them, by questioning them, if they lie to you or tell you something that's outrageous, that can raise the level of suspicion to reasonable suspicion. What do you have once you have reasonable suspicion? Okay, you don't know. What I'm going to tell you, what you have is you have... Reasonable suspicion is the level of suspicion you need to conduct a frisk. So do you see why the question part of it's so important, junior journalist? 
Okay, don't ever call it stop and stop and frisk again, okay? At least not in my presence. They mean it to be almost like a derogatory term, so they call it stop and frisk. But by doing that, they've taken 33% of the procedure away. And if you're, uh, and you should be, a knowledgeable law enforcement officer, you should know. You can't take 33% of anything away and be effective at it. So don't let journalists call it stop and frisk. Um, I'm going to play a little bit about um, a little bit about uh, what Adams is saying about anti-crime, and, and we'll see. You know, I'm going to listen a little bit of a um, a news report on it, and we're going to see what he has to say and whether we agree with it or not. Um, this is Mayor Eric Adams talking about gun time crime. and time again that he would bring back a new version of the much maligned NYPD anti-gun unit as an integral part of his public safety plan. I didn't have a secret of what I was going to do. And yet when he actually did it in response to a heart-wrenching string of gun crimes in the last three weeks, the critics lined up to say he was wrong. Public advocate Jamani Williams asking why we need the new unit when the NYPD is already doing a good job of taking guns off the street. 6,000 guns were taken off the streets last year. I think 400 and change this year alone, if I'm not mistaken, or close to. That means we're making gun arrests. That means we're getting historic numbers of guns off the street. That is happening right now. So I do want to know what those units will be focused on that we aren't already doing. During a string of media appearances, Mayor Adams defended the new units, which will be sent to 30 precincts that account for 80% of the gun crimes. He insisted they would not be abusive or racially insensitive. The Reverend Al Sharpton, just one of many voices raising concerns that the new units would bring a return to stop and frisk policing in minority communities. Even though stop and frisk was brought down, never totally went away, we do not want to see the escalation of that. They're going to be real guardrails. Number one, everyone is going to keep their video cameras on. Too many officers were turning off their cameras. We're going to monitor those interactions. We are going to learn from the past so we don't repeat the past. And we will never use, under my administration, any abusive targeting tactics that goes after people based on their ethnicity and where they live. The mayor also defended a number of other proposals from using facial recognition and other new technologies to identify people who carry guns to change to bail reform laws and other changes he wants the legislature to enact. One of the mayor's toughest sells may be convincing the legislature about the need to change bail reform laws. Albany lawmakers have voiced open skepticism about the need for change. In Manhattan, I'm Marcia Kramer, CBS 2 News. See, Albany doesn't want to change it. They don't want to go back and change, even though they, the bail reform has been a disaster. They don't want to change it in Albany because... Uh, that's their constituents. That's their base, who they're appealing to. The base is not the police officers that are endangered by bail reform. It's not the communities that need the most policing because their communities are loaded with gangbangers with guns. So Albany doesn't care because their base is who they care. They care about power. They care about getting reelected. And to them, you know, bail reform was, was the answer, you know, and, and, and it was... You know, when people write laws and they have no knowledge of the law, I question, how did they even get elected? You know, most legislators, uh, you see senators, congressmen, most and not all have law degrees. It's probably a pretty good idea uh, that most have law degrees because 
To understand the law, you sort of need a background in law. But when you see, hear some of these politicians that make laws, they're legislators, and they have no knowledge of the law, that's sort of ridiculous, you know? It's sort of like becoming a college professor and have no college degree to teach. You know, it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. And you saw in that video how Marsha Kramer called it stop and frisk. Al Sharpton called it stop and frisk. They need to be corrected when they use that language. It's not called stop and frisk. And they demonized, they demonized stop, question, and frisk. Tell me, ask one of these people that are demonizing stop, question, and frisk. Ask them, how do you, how do you think police get guns off the street? How do you think they legally stop someone and get, could you explain it to me? I guarantee you they cannot explain it. I guarantee. But yet, they're all experts on what they say is stop and frisk, stop and frisk. It was controversial. Oh, really? How do you think they continued to get guns off the street? Yes, yeah, stop questioning frisk, but how do you think they do that? How do you think they do that? They don't know. They have no idea. Jamani Williams, he's a total cop hater and like to leave and listen to that guy. You know, like he was going to run for governor. I mean, you know, unbelievable. Like some of these characters that are running for. Uh, political positions, you know, uh, this, this, this should be, this should be on, uh, on Saturday Night Live. It should be a skit, these three. It looks like Nadler was, just, Nadler to the right was just like propped up there and someone's holding him up. He looks like he might fall down if someone's not holding him up there. <laughs> That's, that should be a Saturday Night skit, you know, Cuomo probably has his right hand in in, in Schumer's wallet, grabbing his wallet with his. Uh... <laughs> I sorry guys, I can't I can't resist saying these jokes, but uh, it's 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 amazing. Um, yeah, Steve Colon, uh, you're right. It's a Terry stop. I don't want to go totally into the law here because a lot of our listeners aren't um, aren't from policing. They're not uh, from from the law point of view. Um, so Adams also said something about hiring more police. Uh, you know, as we know, uh, the NYPD was defunded by $1 billion in the whole defund the police. Uh, uh, you know, and they, they played some um, some political games with the numbers, too. I think that they school safety was um, carried under the police department's budget. So they, they just take, took a lot of their money. So they, they actually didn't lose... NYPD officers, but however, from what I understand is the NYPD is down at least 3,000 officers right now. Hello, Tina Wright. How are you? Uh, Gian, New York is fought with election fraud. Linda Cosma, does the mayor actually work? He shows up a lot on TV. He seems like he's out there all the time. So it seems like uh, you can't blame him for, for not working. He's, 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 uh, he hit the ground running and he's, uh, He's got a lot, it seems like he's got a lot of energy. You know, he's, he's at every damn event, but I think he should let the police commissioner be the talk, uh, talk for the police department. And, and, you know, she seems very competent. Let her do the talking. You know, you, you don't have to be at every single event given a speech. You know, it's, it's sort of uh, let her talk. There's Adams right now. I'm going to play another little video of him talking about uh, maybe hiring more cops. Eyes and took a deep breath after looking at a picture I handed him of weapons brought to Manhattan's Intermediate School 70 by a 14-year-old. This is real. This is these are real weapons that could be used on teachers, 
on the screen is showing a picture of knives, uh, all kinds of weapons uh, that a 14-year-old kid brought to, brought to school. Speaking out after I asked him about the need for more cops and headcount reductions that have left the NYPD school safety division with 2,000 fewer agents. Marsha, this is such an important question that you ask. When people attack me for having school safety agents in our schools, they need to see this. I'm not removing my school safety agents. We're going to do an analysis of the needs, and I'm going to protect my children. The mayor is also conducting an analysis of the NYPD to see if there are enough cops to carry out his aggressive blueprint for public safety to get guns off the street. He also plans to improve school safety. I'm exploring to change the uniform of our school safety agents. We're looking at new technology that identify weapons of that is not the magnetometers that can be a very intimidating. And we are making sure that around the grounds are safe. And we're looking at alternative met methods to deal with conflict resolutions. This is police and other city unions began notifying their members that they have until February 11th to get COVID vaccinations or be terminated. An NYPD spokesman said only about 200 cops and civilian employees would be affected, but the mayor is resolute that his vaccine mandate be followed. Well, that's another whole topic, the whole uh, vaccine mandate. But um, so uh, he seems like, hello, Marie Green. How are you, Marie? Good to see you. I'll put you up on the screen. Hello. How are Good to see you, Marie. Um, Turtle Runner, how are you? Good to see all you folks in the chat. Nikki Bella, Lisa Rosh, uh, you guys. So, um, you know, a lot of changes. We're hoping, you know, obviously for the better that um, the NYPD I think you know when you when you think of uh, the profession of policing, you, you got to go back um, to you know the Michael Brown thing, the Ferguson effect, as uh, as they call it, where cops stopped uh, being proactive uh, after the Ferguson riots and after many other things uh, that the police were. Um, vilified vilified by the media vilified by politicians uh we, we saw the riots here in new york city we saw the riots here across the country and um so those are those are part of the problem with policing right now and it's a very 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 tough job um you know maybe in some other locations uh florida a uh, lot was actively recruiting new york city cops uh, and they're known to back their police officers there, you know. Uh, they back they back their police officers. I want to pull up a, this, this is a picture. Uh, this was during the um, Bloomberg administration. And this wasn't anti-crime. This was warrants. And warrants did a, a textbook stop on the street of a guy that they were looking for. They saw him on the street and they, they scooped him up. No force used. They scooped them up, handcuffed them, put them in the car. And de Blasio said, I'm troubled by that. Thank God that idiot is gone. He was troubled by police doing their work. Textbook job they did, removing this wanted person from the street, and he was troubled by it. You know, it's that old expression in politics. Everyone likes sausage, but no one likes to see how it's made. The same thing with policing. Policing isn't pretty all the time. It's definitely not pretty. Uh, 
Stratman, 1966, we totally uh, support our police in Florida. I think that's true. I think um, uh, DeSantis is uh, is a big uh, is a big um, supporter of the police. You know, I, I want to. I just want to bring something else up from the news here. This this is another two teens were shot inside a Brooklyn mall, and I just want to put this up on the screen. This this just happened too, and the shooter was out on bail. It's you can't make this stuff up. Uh, it, it it's just unbelievable. Four firearms. They need to stop it and do the right thing. It's getting out of hand. Real out of hand. It's dangerous for the young kids. Everybody, you know, it's not safe anymore. It's getting worse and worse every day. Mayor Eric Adams met with the district attorneys in all five boroughs this afternoon to discuss gun violence. His press office putting out a release describing what was described as a productive meeting. Everyone agreeing that safety and justice need to go hand in hand, adding, quote, they discussed ways that each office, the city, state, and federal partners could contribute to the fight against gun violence, as well as the ways they could each use their voice and platform to urge necessary changes to the system they agreed to meet regularly. Well, you know, what's funny is, is that um, if you talk to people that are on the, in the crime fighting business, they'll, they'll obviously, they'll, they'll blame the They'll blame the shooter. They'll blame the person with the gun. Progressives blame the gun as if the gun did the shooting. So that's how they, that's the difference. They, they will blame the, the progressives will blame the gun and the, the right wing will, will blame uh, the shooter, uh, which I think makes more sense. Take the gun off the shooter. The gun sitting there is not going to do anything. Do we need less guns on the street? Absolutely. But when it's so easy, and there's already 320 million guns in the United States already possessed if they stop selling them tomorrow. They're still out there. They're still out there, you know. Uh, no place like home. I support the police but hate sausage. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I didn't expect that. I don't know how to defend that. Ryan Sanford, keep fighting the good fight, Bill. The tide is turning. I certainly do hope so. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of cops, a lot of retired cops, and many of them say they won't go into New York City anymore. Because so think of all the money New York City is losing because of not just the perception, but of the reality that it's dangerous and that that uh, the police are not going to defend people that need their help. And I'm not blaming on the police, but that they're not going to prosecute people for certain things. There's just a story uh, yesterday that it was a, I think it was a CBS on 50th Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan that is going out of business because they lost over $200,000 in the last few months from theft. So they can't, they can't, uh, they can't stay in business anymore because of no prosecution of pettit lawsonists uh, because it, Word spreads on the street when no one's getting arrested. Uh, it just catches on like wildfire. And it spreads. And people say, hey, if he can steal, I'm going to go in there and steal too. Why pay? I'm just going to go steal. And that's what happens. You know, and um, it's crazy. And it's, you know, I did that report from uh, Ashley Banfield. And 
you know, I did that report for Ashley Banfield. It was about pet larceny in, in Los Angeles and how it's getting out of control. And also the breaking into trains and breaking into freight trains and stealing uh, off these freight trains, like just actually putting them out of business. Like it, to me, that's a national security problem. You're going to steal from freight trains and dump the stuff you don't want all over the tracks. Duty Ron, good to see you, Duty Ron. He writes, my family will not travel into the city unless it's an emergency for medical care. So there you have it. There's one person, one family that will not go into the city. Uh, North Florida, Gary, I felt sorry for that security guard that had to stand there and watch a guy just take what he wanted. Disgusting, right? And they said it, it takes a big toll on the employees of these locations because they have to work every day and watch this. Like, why are these people being allowed to steal? You know, I just don't understand in a free society, how can that be allowed? How can you just let someone steal with impunity? And and you know that the people that are stealing the stuff, they're just turning around and selling it. There's, there's, a, there's a black market for that. So they're going to go out to these stores and sell the stuff that they just stole. It, it's sort of sad. Uh, ZZ Trap Pranks, do I think Black Lives Matter will not riot since anti-crime is back? No, I don't think they will riot. I think the tide is starting to turn and they're not getting, when they're seeing who they actually are, they're not getting the support they're getting. And it, if you saw Police Officer Rivera's funeral with 10,000 cops there and people from across the city starting to um, really support the police and go against these woke, woke policies, of these progressive politicians, hopefully the title turn fully and we'll get this city back. You know, I always on past broadcasts, I've always referred to um, the Brian Watkins moment. And for you young people that weren't around then, Brian Watkins was a tourist from Utah who came here with his family to see the US open in Queens. And they were gonna take a train from Times Square to Queens to go watch the U.S. Open. And the mother of Brian Watkins was attacked by a group of robbers. And Brian Watkins came to the aid of his mother, and he was stabbed to death for coming to the aid of his mother. And that's what we call the Brian Watkins moment, because the city was so sickened by that, that they had had enough. And they said, all right, it was Mayor Dinkins at the time. What are you going to do, Dave? Do something, Dave. People from out of town coming in here and stabbed to death. It's much like that incident in Times Square when we had those four people shot. De Bozo was still mayor. De Blasio was still mayor. And one of them was a four-year-old kid. And it turned out it was two illegal vendors, brothers, fighting. And one brother shot at his own brother. And he hit four people on the street. That's something called disorder. That's where enforcing small, low-level crimes could have prevented that shooting. But these progressives want nothing to do with broken window-style policing because uh, they don't want, they want decarceral, decarceral policies is what Alvin Bragg calls them. Decarceral policies will make us safer. I, I'd like to see the statistics that he has to prove that because he has none because there are no statistics to prove his dissertation that the carceral policies will make the city safer. It's the reverse. 
It will not make the city safer. It will make the city less safe by not putting people in jail, by not punishing people who commit crimes, by not enforcing lower-level crimes. When you don't enforce lower-level crimes, it's almost like graduating to the next-level crime. When people realize that they can be disorderly and when neighborhoods permit disorder, that's what happens. Crime spikes. People start getting shot. Muggings. You know, the barometer crime, when I first came on the job, that basically defined for a commanding officer whether his precinct was safe or not, was robbery. And if you had a lot of robberies, (laughs) you better get your robberies under control. Because that was the bellwether crime that showed whether or not your precinct was safe or unsafe. And when I tell people that back in like the, the 80s, you know, middle 80s, late 80s, early 90s, the 19th precinct on the Upper East Side that covers is one of the wealthiest areas in the world, covers from 59th Street to 96th Street, from Fifth Avenue to the FDR Drive. They sometimes would get two to 300 robberies a month in that precinct. It was the land of milk and honey. You could hear the kids from Brooklyn saying, Manhattan makes it, Brooklyn takes it. And they would chant that as they were robbing people, you know? And um, that was the advent of, uh, you know, talk about history in New York crime fighting, of the RIP units. And RIP stood for Robbery Investigation Program. Uh, and I, that's, I came up through anti-crime. I became a RIP sergeant. My first RIP job um, was in the 2-4 precinct on the Upper West Side. I did that from 1995 to 97. From 97, I got transferred to El Barrio, the Rose of Spanish Harlem in the 2-3, and I had the RIP unit in the 2-3. Best, probably one of the best, one of the best, if not the best RIP unit in the city. I had, when I tell you I had 12 great detectives in that RIP unit, that they were great. Some of these guys are making 10, 12 arrests a month. But never mind to get on the sheet twice. They were getting on the sheet four, five, six times, different incidents. And this was the two, three rip in 19, I had it in 1997. And uh, it was, that's when they started turning crime around. You know, these rip units, they, that targeted robbers, because what they figured out through looking at crime was that most robbers live in the community that they commit their robberies in. And that was the whole premise behind RIP. So let's identify these guys. And then let's start using investigation. Let's start doing robbery investigation, conduct lineups, patterns, patterns of um, of, of robbers and uh, similar MOs, similar no place like home was not meant in a bad way towards the police. Just sausage. No place like home. I didn't take it bad at all. I have a sense of humor too. Believe me. I just use that as an expression. I realize many people don't like sausage, but it's just an expression. I use the expression, everyone likes sausage, but no one likes to see it made. And no place like home says, I don't like sausage. <laughs> I love sweet Italian sausage in my in my gravy or in my spaghetti sauce, as they say. So no place like home, no umbrage taken. So I was just giving you guys a little short um, history on on rip units in the city and crime in the city and that type of thing. Guys, uh, tonight uh, we got a show myself, um, Phil Grimaldi, um, 
and it's called, I'm going to put the flyer up on the screen. We got the great Tommy Dades, retired first grade detective, uh, organized crime expert. Mike, Michael Vecchioni, uh, formerly the lead prosecutor for the Brooklyn DA's office. And we're going to talk about the last gangster. And of course, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who's been on this show. We're going to talk about the Gambino crime family, family circa 1985 and go through a little history on that. So that's going to be tonight at 9 p.m. on Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Guys, uh, I did enough um, talking today, Coffee with Cannon. I went over my, I'm almost 41 minutes. Um, I want to thank you guys for coming today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And, uh, you know, hang in there, everyone. Things are going to get better. And uh, just keep tuning in to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories and uh, give us our support and we'll support you. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great day, a safe day. One episode, just ain't enough.